Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Music Survival Guide. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Phil. Good afternoon, morning, evening, whenever you're listening. Hello! How are you doing, mate? I am alright. I have battled through uh, in the last week a cold and food poisoning, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still standing, just, uh, yeah, um, yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm alright. It is the season to be unwell, really, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I'm doing good. I've been been busy, so can't complain. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, feeling fighting fit. What have you been up to? I have been look on the lookout for uh, various items so I can build a mobile recording rig. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could insert a sort of ooh noise effect, there, that would be <laughs> really good. Um, so actually genuinely following on from what we were talking about last week um i'm going to take some of that advice myself and buy some of those items um so i'm looking to build like a small little kind of uh setup so i can take it with me and um, record bands wherever they happen to be sounds good so uh what are we going to talk about today well this week we are talking about home recording studios and in what ways uh sort of actually recording your music is sort of different to a demo and in what ways it's different uh, to uh, being in the studio and things like that. Yeah, so I think a really good place to start is what is the difference between a a home demo or recording demo and a home studio production? Do you want to kind of take off with that? Yeah, so I guess a demo is primarily there for the band and maybe for a producer if you're if you are going to a quote-unquote professional recording studio um to really work out the shape of the song and what it's going to do and to just help you kind of hone your ideas really um and as as we said in a previous podcast i want to say it was episode nine but i can't remember off the top of my head um where we talked about demos uh it can be anything from a single microphone or even a phone in a rehearsal studio all the way to um, a sort of multi-track setup but you could genuinely release it and it sound pretty good. Yeah, like you said there, the thing I've got written down is demo is for personal reference. So Mm. it's not the thing that's going to, you know, be put out to the world. And when I say personal reference, I just kind of mean not for public consumption. So it can, I've seen it in the last week bands have sent demos to uh, mix engineers to see if they'd be interested later down the line, producers, you know, to their managers to keep everyone in on a loop. So, yeah, I think that's the big difference. Whereas something done in a home studio is something that you're going to put out into into the world for the general public to hear. Yes. Fit for public consumption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for want of a better phrase. <laughs> so um, a big kind of question um an obvious question is why is this worth considering why is it worth considering building or or creating a sort of home recording setup in comparison to going to a big studio and doing your record um there are many things i could say um there are there are many uh great benefits actually to having a home recording studio so you have time um, it's actually probably the biggest one. Um, you have all the time that you, you want or need to hone your record. Um, so when you're in a big professional studio, the clock is ticking, as they say, um, and the pressure is somewhat on. And if you get into the studio and you get nervous, then that is essentially money down the drain, um, for want of a better phrase. But if you're in the home studio, if you're in your house or your bandmate's house, then you have 
as much time as you need to to get the the, the emotion and the feeling into your recording. Yeah, there's something really interesting you picked up there, which is essentially red light syndrome, which is where no matter how practiced you are, you can get in front and just kind of freeze or not be able to play the parts. Um, I apologize if you can hear a dog barking in the background. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, Woof. So, and there's also not, nothing to be ashamed of with that. There are loads of fantastic musicians that I've recorded on multiple occasions and it can just be something, you know, they've had a bad night's sleep the night before, there's just something slightly putting them off and they can just freeze up. A good producer or a good engineer, it's part of our job to kind of help you get out of that. But yeah, there's nothing really to to stress about red light syndrome. It just happens. The important thing mm. is to kind of just take a breather, take a few seconds meditate or do whatever you need to do to get yourself back to zero and then have another go mm, pretty much pretty much exactly that um there's it's worth saying that there can be uh, some level of i guess stigma attached to recording in the home studio so there may be you know if you there's a fear that if you tell someone that you've recorded at home instead of in a studio they'll look down on you and go oh you're not a you're not a real artist you're not a real band but i want to tell you there are chart topping uh, musicians and bands who record at home um nowadays it's quite an amazing thing actually um but there's the biggest one that i can think of is billy eilish eilish is that how you say her name eilish i don't know yeah um but it's her, I think it's her brother, and they record Phineas. together in, Phineas, what a name, mm-hmm. and they record together in their home studio, and that is chart topping, so if, if they can do that, then why can't you? Yeah, chart topping is an understatement for them. <laughs> I think is it much. Bad Guy is on a billion streams on Spotify alone. A lot of streams, that's all Something I know. Something ridiculous. Yeah, it... it they've completely blown up and that was done in the home studio i think there's something quite interesting to unpack about the stigma towards recording in a home studio obviously recording in a home studio is in theory a lot cheaper than recording in a commercial studio so i don't know if the stigma comes from there's an assumption that home studio stuff is done cheaper that it's not it's not it's not proper there may be, you know, associations with the golden age and in inverted commas of recording. And those were done in commercial studios. So people feel like, oh, you know, you're, you're not doing it the proper way that the legends did it. It's a bit of a myth that you can't do great sounding recordings out of your home, home, studio, home recording studio. I think the aim I know for a lot of people who do that is they want something that no one can tell has been done in a home recording studio. Is that something you'd agree with? Yes. Yes. Um, they want something that sounds uh, professional, actually. I think that's probably the, the watchword, isn't it? That it sounds professional. Mm. Um, that it, you you could listen to it and then you could listen to, I don't know, you know, whatever genre they're in, there's some famous old artist and it would sound sonically similar. Um, so you wouldn't notice the difference as such. It would sound yeah. as good as as the records they've actually grown up listening to. That's probably what it comes down to. Yeah, and especially now in the era of playlists where you're going to get chucked on with all kinds, you kind of want your stuff to match up Oh yes. to other stuff on the playlist. That's where you can really tell the difference in quality if it's not there. 
Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of practical considerations uh, to setting up uh, a home recording studio um, in terms of um, you know the the gear to buy and that kind of thing. Uh, the last episode is probably a great starting place, so I'll point you to that. Back to episode ten. Um, but there's there's practical considerations. So if you are recording drums, um, obvious statement, it could get loud, mm. <laughs> um, and that that can be hard to deal with. Um, so you could you know you could be living in a in a terraced house if you're in the UK or even a flat, and you have to consider your neighbours, and your neighbours may not be happy with you. <laughs> hitting drums for hours on end um but there are solutions to these things um so don't be discouraged um it may be that you you don't have a, a neighbor problem uh, for want of a better phrase um so that's not necessarily a problem or you could um rent out a rehearsal studio or just some kind of um space or hall and you could record yourself in there for the loud bits for the drums or maybe the guitar amps and things like that um, and that is a very practical um, solution to the problem. So it doesn't necessarily make it impossible. Mm. Even giving yourself a little bit of a, a plug is you can contact people such as Phil who will do mobile engineering and recording, rent out a rehearsal yep. space that will be isolated enough and people like Phil can come along and and record you from there and you'll get professional quality recordings. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> You're very much better at plugging yourself than me, if I'm really honest. But there I'm plugging you. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Um, another consideration, um, which is actually really important, is room acoustics. Um, so the the big difference, in my mind, between recording at home and recording in a professional studio is not necessarily the, the thousands of pounds of, of gear and a really nice recording console and things like that. It's actually the space. Um, a really, really good recording studio, what is good about it is the recording space, is the ambience of it just sounds good um, and it's conducive to music, whatever that may sound like. A different studio sound different. Um, and the, the noticeable and obvious statement is that a home is designed to be lived in. It's not designed for music recording. Um, you may happen to have an, an amazing room that just sounds really nice, has a really nice ambience. Or it maybe should be a bit small and sound horrific. Um, <laughs> there's a chance that your, your, your only available space is really small and the noise just bounces around and it sounds horrendous um so controlling room acoustics is really key um you don't have to spend a ton of money to control your room acoustics um just a bit of clever thought um so you have to think about using things like blankets and uh, in a more extreme case you could use um mattresses mm. um, to just really control the sound and stop things bouncing around uh, other things like um bookcases can really help kind of diffuse the sound uh, nice technical term there and just stop it kind of bouncing around and, and harming your recording and it's actually it's actually simpler than people realize i think yeah i think that's actually a future episode idea maybe is how we do Ooh. gorilla home recording techniques um i don't know the where would you get a gorilla from <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's one that there's one thing to be said for that as well though is it can, acoustics can be quite a daunting thing i think there will be a lot mm. of people out there who tell you like oh well you need to have like 
this in place to defuse this, that, and the other. It's something to consider, but it ultimately shouldn't be something that should put you off entirely from recording. If you feel like, you know, mm. if you haven't got an acoustician in and spent three grand on, you know, your recording space in your home, which like Phil said, your home is designed to be lived in. It's not a recording studio. Don't let that put you off. There's plenty of stuff online. If you go on YouTube, I'm sure you'll find loads and loads of videos on like how to record acoustic guitar in your bedroom or how to record, you know, a homemade vocal booth and stuff like that. It shouldn't be a a factor that prevents you from from mm. starting recording. Yes, I know for a fact those videos are out there. Mm. Um I've actually seen some in thinking about this episode. So there you are. Um, that's where the idea for the mattress came from, actually. Yeah, so another practical benefit whilst being on that theme is time. You get so much more time because ultimately you're not working against a budget. There are obviously things to consider, like when you're doing time. Of If you're doing drums, obviously you can't go well into the night and become the bane of your local neighbourhood. But if you listen back to the stuff in a week later or, you know, even on the way back home from the drummer's house where you've recorded things and you go, ah, you know, that wasn't that wasn't quite right. Maybe we could do it a bit better. You now have the option of kind of going back and going, oh, OK, yeah, let's try. Let's try a few more. And the same goes for songs. Mm. I think there's there's a feeling amongst a lot of bands that if you spend money on a commercial studio you have to put out whatever you record in there because you've spent a large amount of money whereas if it's with home studio you've got a uh i'm trying to think of the best phrase of way of phrasing you've it you've got free reign yeah there's there's free reign and there's much more editorial control so you've kind of got time to reflect on stuff. You don't have to go, oh, crap, we've only got two days to get everything done. We need to kind yes. of do the drums, move on to the bass, whatever. You can do the drums, go away for two days, listen to the drums, have a discussion about it, and then come back and potentially redo it or change parts or whatever. Whereas in commercial studios, obviously, there's that pressure to just, okay, it's done, move on. And on a similar vein, um, you could even, in a more extreme way, record an entire song, decide you fundamentally don't like it. I mean, and I hope you don't, but you may decide, actually, no, this song fundamentally doesn't work for whatever reason. And you've, you know, you've spent some time recording it and you put all that down, but you've not spent the amount of money you would have spent in a studio to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so you can take it away and work on it again without having felt like you've just wasted all that money. Yeah, that's also, I think, an important part of being a musician and is something that having a home recording studio allows you to do is that in the so-called, you know, heyday or golden age of record making, if you were one of the big bands on a huge label, the songs that you heard that were on the album, you'll there'll also be 90 others that were scrapped. But because they had the mm. budgets to do it, they could, you know, go and write for six weeks at a time in professional recording studios and work on loads and loads of songs. Whereas now, if you have a home recording studio, you can do that. I actively encourage bands that I produce that I say, okay, if we want to work together and you want to do four songs and say we're recording in three months' time, I'll say write as much material as possible, even up until the day beforehand. Having that whole back catalogue 
of stuff that you can kind of go, oh, yeah, it's pick and choose like that rather than just the first four songs you think of. Mm. Case in point, I'll give them a shout out. Uh, Urban Architects, a band I've already mentioned. Um, their first single is the last song they wrote the day before they hit the studio. And they wrote like 25 songs heading in before heading in. And just on the day before, they sent me a home recording thing of just like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, this is a last minute idea. And I just went, that's a single. Mm. That's that's one of the best demos I've ever been sent. <laughs> so yeah, having that, having the gear allows you to have that control of how many songs you write and allows yeah. you to kind of pick and choose the best ones rather than just the ones that, the first ones that come to mind. And it's also, I guess, a bit of um, or humbleness um, on the part of a band to realise that not everything they write is necessarily worth releasing mm. um, and that's something some bands will find it hard to hear but it is true yeah i think there's a maturity in in that approach when you realize you go okay if i write a hundred songs one of them might be incredible and 99 of them might be a bit meh. but i mean that's how professional songwriters do it they'll write you know yes. five to six songs a day for a month and maybe one of those songs might get picked up, but that one song could be a number one hit. And that's mm. how that's how they operate. So the idea that like you'll just have whatever brainwave comes first will be the the number one hit. Statistically, that's very, very unlikely. And I can guarantee that your favourite band, literally whoever they are, have loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of songs that they have written, maybe even recorded and never released because mm -hmm. they went, this is not good enough. The One of the reasons why they're your favourite artists and they seem to write every single song of theirs seems to be amazing is because you don't hear the, the dross. You don't hear the <laughs> stuff that they didn't like, um, putting it bluntly. Yeah. I won't name names, but I have worked on a project with a stadium or arena uh, band so you know they're, they're, they're a big band worldwide tours and I would say as you know as a person who's seen behind the curtain a little bit they maybe would write a hundred songs and nine of them would make the album that's yeah I've heard that kind of thing as well yeah so and you know it would be penalty upon death if any of those other songs ever got out but that's just the normal process for a lot of bands. Hmm. Well, that's tantalising to some. And again, like we said in the demo recording episode, um, these are all kinds of things where in years and years to come, if you've if you've got a home recording of a song you don't like, it may happen to be that in, in years and years' time you listen back to it and go, it's not as bad as we thought. And, you know, if you've got something like Kickstarter, it could be something that you put out as a bonus um so th these things are never necessarily always useless um and in a similar token you've you can um cannibalize bits of these songs um so there may be a riff or a, or a chorus that you really like um that you've now got recorded that you could um put into a different song mm. i agree i'm trying to think i think coldplay did that with one of the i can't remember what what song it is i can sing it but i'm not going to embarrass myself uh, <laughs> so but I know for a fact that they accidentally imported a guitar loop from another song into this one and it just happened to fit and they were like, oh, okay, cool. So it's a really good example of cannibalising songs that didn't quite make it and putting them in songs that did. 
I think it's him for that week for him for the weekend according to Google. Okay. I'll trust Have you. Have a look later. Okay. <laughs> um the other thing just playing devil's advocate is there is a downside to having all this time and that is almost option paralysis. Ah, yes. I think it's really really difficult and I've been very guilty of this as well as if you're not working to a deadline then you can edit and re-record and rework songs and rearrange songs for literally years and never release anything. And it never ends. So mm. that is a one thing to consider. And it's maybe uh, easier if you're in a band because there's there's pressure. And when I say pressure, I mean kind of people who are going to set deadlines of people around you because they're excited about it to kind of go, oh, no, come on, mm. let's let's release it. And you kind of can put things to vote. Whereas if you're by yourself and you're the only person doing quality surveillance, so to speak, then it's really difficult to kind of go, oh, okay, well, I think this is good enough or I can do it better or whatever. It, yeah, option paralysis is a big danger of having a home recording set up. Mm. And you can... Um, the the other danger that immediately comes to mind in a, in a similar way um, is you can add too much to the song. It's very possible. Um, so there is a band called Winter Sun, who if you're into any sort of tech or prog metal, you may have heard of. And it famously took them ooh, uh, seven years to release an album that they were recording themselves um, because... Uh, how do I put this? They didn't know when to stop. Mm. Um, they had to. They had to get several new computers just to make the amount of tracks and the amount of things they were doing and orchestras and all sorts of things work. Um, now, I, at the time, at the time when they released that, I thought it was amazing. Listening back, I actually think it's a bit bloated <laughs> and there's too much going on. Um, and I think you've actually got to be very careful um, about adding too much to the song because um, you can get to the point where you just, there's just nothing to focus on because there's too much happening at the same time. It's why an outside ear, I think, is important, no matter whether you're... Very true. It, the same applies for if you're going into a commercial studio or if you're doing home recording uh, and have your set up. Having someone like a mix engineer to come along and just go, uh, hold, pump the brakes... Just try try this, that, or having someone to bounce ideas off who has experience of finishing, essentially what a mix engineer does, finishing uh, yes. hundreds of hundreds of song, songs. Uh, so case in point, uh, I'll keep them anonymous again, is the uh, band that <laughs> I was working with, uh, the single turned out great, but they sent me the session and they were like, oh, we just don't know. And it had like, you know, I think it was something like 40 backing vocals and about like 20 guitars and they were Ooh. like we're not we really like the chorus hook but we're just not sure why it doesn't fit together i muted 90 percent of the stems <laughs> and then i just sent them it back and they were like oh it's great yeah that's that's what we're after and that was their original version yes. but because they were home recording they just kind of were like oh okay this doesn't work and because it wasn't mixed they weren't getting the feeling back from it that they wanted and it was a case of going, oh, okay, well, let's add a guitar. We need to add a synth. More vocals, more vocals, more vocals, more vocals. So it's that, mm. having that outside experience of someone who who knows and has seen it all before and can just go, no, take this out, take this out. Maybe try adding this, move this around here. 
and having that outside experience is uh yeah is something that's really really useful if you're home recording hmm. part of i mean a, a mixing engineer does many many things but part of um their role and a really important part is um bringing focus to the song um so it's like joe said uh you've part of the mixing engineer's job is to know when to mute stuff and when to unmute stuff um so if you send your you know one of your songs to me or joe or something like that um don't be offended if we mute some bits it's because we are trying to serve the song we are trying to make the best song possible um and it may be that 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 amazing guitar part that you loved maybe wasn't the most helpful thing to the song and you know we're not don't get me wrong we're not difficult we're not going to just say blanket no if you really want it but i think you've got to be if you send stuff to a mixing engineer you've got to be prepared for them to try things yeah like is like you said it's not a case of it would be a dictatorship and we go this is the best way for it whatever because at the end of the day it's the artist's song but there's an element of yes you choose a mix engineer because of their ear and their experience and the way that they mix so i'll do things different to the way phil will do them there's a reason why 100%. <laughs> you'd maybe hire there might be something you hear in phil's mixes that you go okay cool that's the way phil mixes it or there might be something that i do in mixes and you go oh, okay cool that's the way joe mixes it i'd quite like that style for my song and those stylistic choices come about because me and Phil have not so much taken risks, but have applied our artistic ear and, you know, our experience and gone, okay, we just might want to treat this other thing and change another thing. Like there's, there's loads of examples where I've done stuff and half the time I'll get an email back going, yeah, I love the mix, but that, you know, that a slightly out there different effect, like it could be a delay or a distortion on the solo. I'm not keen on that. Can we go back to like plan A? And then the other 50% of the time they'll go, oh, yeah, that's that's the bit of the song. That's the thing that will sell it. It's our favorite part. Mm. And if we don't take those risks as mix engineers, then, you know, you, you never allow the opportunity for those situations to arise. Joe, without naming names or anything like that have you ever snuck snuck sneaked something into a mix and no one's noticed not like adding a part but adding an effect or something like that um i've definitely i've definitely done stuff that i felt in the moment that i've kind of gone mm. you know i'm it makes me sound like one of those artistic annoying people but <laughs> when i'm mixing i'm very much chasing a feeling so i kind of want to oh you know, there, there'll be references that will make me feel a certain way, whether it's like if it's an aggressive song, I kind of want it to sound energetic. And as I'm listening to it, I feel that energy. So sometimes when I get into a mixing thing, it might not be a specific reference. And I mean, this often goes as well for some artists I work with, just give me the stems and they go, we've hired you because we like your mixes, do whatever comes into your mind. Mm. And that's a perfectly reasonable standpoint. So there are times where I've just kind of gone wild and weird effects have been added. And majority of the time, the band really loves it. If they've given me free ride to be artistic with it, then I've done exactly what they've asked for. What about you? Hmm. 
I have sneaked in, sneaked or sneak, sneak, sneaking. Snook. <laughs> Snook. That's the word I can English. Um, I've done a few things, um, sneaky things. Um, it's no, you know, I'm never trying to sabotage the song. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not like, uh, let's sneak in a moog part into this, into this. I don't know, ambient track. And I, I don't read ambient music. I don't really know why I said that. Anyway, um, so I've, I mean, what I did recently was I there was a a really kind of spaced out um, guitar part, and I just threw a phaser on it. Um, and it sounded really cool. Um, but the band just never mentioned it again. I think they liked it. I don't know if they noticed. It was really subtle. Yeah. I don't know whether there's an element to that of that's almost what they were expecting from a mix engineer. Like, just, you know... That's true. We want that extra thing that we wouldn't think of. Otherwise, why would you hire a mix engineer to a certain extent? Yeah. You're doing things that a band can't do. That's the reason why you've been brought on. So if if they wanted it that way, they'd do it. Mm. If that makes sense. That's very true. That's very true. We've got into a very, very deep rabbit hole about ethics of mix engineering now. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Anyway, the I guess the, the major point um, is if you are recording yourself and you've written these songs yourself, having an outside ear is really, really, really super helpful. It gives you a chance for someone else to kind of come in and go, that's amazing, I really like that, or have you thought about this, that kind of thing. Um, and to be honest, a really great person to bring in is a mixing engineer because they get their hands on the track and they get to really um, have, I guess, a meaningful impact for the better, hopefully, mm. um, and get their, they get you get their input into it as well. Yeah, I would say with 100% certainty that all the projects that I've worked on that I've been really, really proud of. I mean, it's safe to say that I'm proud of everything that I work on, but everything that I think has turned out the best have all been projects that I've been involved at, even from quite an early stage. Mm. And I don't necessarily mean like I was hands-on with the tracking or production. Even if there were mixes that did really well, there were ones where, you know, they sent me a demo three months beforehand and then they were kind of asking me about like ideas and stuff like that. So the, the earlier you can get an outside experienced ear on a project, the better it is. Exactly. And again, I think that's linking back to today's topic. Having a home recording studio allows you to have that back and forth with a mixing engineer. If you were going into a commercial studio and you had two days, you can't you know, in theory, you could you know, uh, record the drums, send them a stem of the drums and ask what the mix engineer's opinion on it is. But that would rely on them being free at the same time that you're doing it. You'd have to then wait for a reply before you moved on to something. It's just not practical. Whereas if you were doing home recording, you record the drums. Uh, they could send you the drums, ask for your opinion on it. Do you think, you know, as a mix engineer, is that something you could work with? Blah, blah, blah. Is there something we could be improving? Hmm great move on to the base you can ask mix engineer for his opinion what does he think on the xyz it having that that power to kind of set your own timetable allows you to bring in uh mix engineers producers or whatever and kind of have that conversation that you won't be afforded and literally be yes. able to afford in a commercial studio having a conversation is a is a really good point it's bouncing ideas backwards and forwards um, for the better betterment, what's my word of the day, um, of your music. Mm. 
Uh, okay, so should we talk about? I mean, I feel like we've covered some of them, but some of the potential drawbacks of having a home recording setup. So I feel like the obvious one, and I mean, there are people who are going to be listening to this going, yeah, Joe Phil, this sounds great, but I don't know how to plug a microphone in. <laughs> like I've got all these ideas, and I'm not sure how to do it. One thing I'd say to you, and again, it always feels like I'm going to go back to the same thing, is if you bring in a mix engineer, we'll be the best people to help guide you through these things. Like I've said before, if you don't have a clue how to record drums, email me. I'll send you a, how to, a really good drum guide on how to on how to record drums. Really easy to follow PDF with pictures mm. and instructions that you can apply to with whatever microphone and gear that you've got. But like I said, if you aren't sure, bringing in that experienced person who's been through it before is is really really useful yes i guess the 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 potential drawback is is you sort of sit there struggling by yourself and you don't know you know you've bought this this um digital audio workstation on your laptop and you don't know how it works and you know how do i um get some audio into my computer at all um i would strongly recommend speaking to you know people like me and joe um but in a sort of pinch youtube is your friend there are tons and tons and tons i mean literally tons of guides about every single door under the sun um and how to use them and how to get audio onto a track um and things like that and that is a great sort of starting point as well yeah there's there's almost a sense of creative freedom that comes with learning the skill of recording and putting your own ideas down because the better you are at it the better you can translate those ideas in your head that may not be you know yes. exactly like a, an acoustic and vocal thing if they are have got slightly more intricate production they don't need to be the final thing but it's a lot easier if you can kind of show a mix engineer or a producer or the rest of your bandmates even you kind of go these are my ideas and i've kind of made this production and if you get quicker at working DAWs and just general recording skills, there will there'll be a quicker flow from your head to the speakers, if that makes sense. There's mm. nothing less inspiring than having an idea in your head than going, right, how do I make an audio track? You will you'll stop writing instantly. It will disrupt all your flow. Whereas if you have those skills, it will improve your writing tenfold because it will just feel like you're writing your idea down on a piece of paper, but you're actually creating it and the, and your ideas will come to life, hmm. if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. So I hope it makes sense to everybody else. <laughs> um, there, that was encouraging, wasn't it? Uh, another... yeah, I feel like that should be the slogan for the podcast. <laughs> there it is. Um, another potential drawback... Um, is space, um, which is not actually something we talked about until now. Um, in some countries, like America, uh, most people, it seems to me, living in the UK, have a lot of space in their house. And there's a lot of room to record drums and things like this and, and all that. But in, certainly in Britain, where we live, uh, houses are a lot smaller and certainly mm. flats are a lot smaller. Um, and in some, in some cases, you know, you kind of look around and go, well, 
where where do I record? What what kind of room is there for this? Um, and you know, you you can turn your living room into a recording space if you need to. Um, but as we said before, you can always hire out a rehearsal room or a, a kind of community hall or whatever it may be, and there is a space for you to record. Um, there are always solutions to these these problems. Yeah, there are a few companies that I'm sure if you Googled them. Uh that will literally let you kind of rent out shells. So it will kind of be like a computer with an interface in an isolated room. So, and they're a lot, lot, lot cheaper than uh, than going to a commercial studio. So those are always options if, you know, you need to get drums done. I'd always recommend like a hybrid approach. So maybe use somewhere like that or or a big space like Phil mentioned, maybe like a community hall if you want to go full gorilla style. Mm-hmm. Uh, find a school hall, like a church if it's quiet enough and record your drums there. And then you can kind of do your bass at home to the DIs, find a reasonable time to of day and let your late neighbours know that you might be recording guitar for the afternoon or something like that. There are There are loads of options to it. And I know it's difficult to kind of get the motivation to do it, but there really aren't any excuses, especially after last week's episode where we've outlined all the gear that you'd need to do it. Yes. Here's a... Oh, controversial. Here's a potential benefit mm-hmm. as opposed to a drawback. It's a lot of fun. Um, you just get to spend time with your bandmates, if you're in a band, and mess about and create music. Um, and it you know running your own home studio is a sort of ultimate in creative freedom i think you said earlier Mm -hmm. um you get the space and the time to go i wonder what this guitar sounds like if i put this weird pedal that i've got on it i wonder what the bass sounds like with this weird pedal on it i wonder what happens if i run um my drums through this weird pedal like that kind of that kind of thing and you can go you know what happens if you um put a piece of paper in between the strings on a bit of guitar, on a guitar if you use a, a coin instead of a pick these all these kinds of weird and wonderful things you can just try them and see what happens and you might discover something amazing yeah i agree i think there's also there's something i don't know whether it's a personal thing but there's something quite attractive about albums that were made in different styles like i know people like reading about and I can reference it so much in this episode, like the golden age or whatever, or the heyday of record making in big commercial studios. But there's something I quite like of really liking a record than finding out, you know, the drums were done in someone's shed and then the bass was done yes. on the back of a tour van on a laptop and stuff like that. Those are the really interesting stories that when you do interviews and you start publicising the song that people will find interesting. Yeah, I don't know why it took me this long to think about it, but um, Foo Fighters' album "Wasting Light" from about two thousand and seven, they recorded that entire thing in Dave Grohl's garage. Yeah, um, I remember. I, I've seen a lot about that, and that's you know, I, I read a lot about that story because it's a lot of fun. Um, and you listen to the album, and go, that is recorded in the garage. It's not recorded in a the studio. There is a slight caveat of they they spent an absolute fortune on the gear. <laughs> they they did. It would they not did. fit into our budget from last week. <laughs> But they did it in a in a, a compromised acoustic space. Agreed, agreed. So that's I I would argue the room is more important than the gear, um, and I would um, and that that you know when you listen to the album you can you can listen to it with that in mind. Mm. It's really cool. So finally, I think it's good to just kind of summarise 
And the question we've got written down here on our podcast plan is, should it be done? And for me, it feels like the obvious answer, and I'm sure Phil will agree with me, is yes. <laughs> like the, the, There is obviously a place for commercial studios. We're not turning around and saying, you should never record in a commercial studio, because I'd be a liar, because I love working with bands in commercial <laughs> studios. They're great. I won't discount that. But if you don't have the budget, then it's a perfectly reasonable way of getting a professional sounding product if you go about it the right way. Yes. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's potentially freeing. And if you have recorded in the studio before, it's something different to try. And it may give your album an entirely different feel. Exactly. Um, so on the on the subject of uh, mixing engineers if you want to contact me or joe then we can be found variously at joe at neversaudio.com i think that's mm -hmm. right isn't it and uh, phil at vortisoundstudios.com we will happily listen to demos we will happily listen to um test recordings and things like that and generally chat about music we love chatting about music and recordings so help us nerd out by contacting us um you can also contact the podcast at music survival guide at gmail.com or go to our facebook page which is the music survival guide podcast yeah i also want to add as well we keep on talking about we'll happily listen to demos happily do this if you've got a project ready to mix as well we'll work on them <laughs> like i feel that's the one thing we'd miss out also that <laughs> so, yeah. so until <laughs> next time it's goodbye from me goodbye from me <laughs> We need to stop with these two bodies.